1: Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of 18-year-old Kleshendra Hall, who disappeared from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, on May 9, 1994. Kleshendra was just two weeks away from graduating when she vanished. The last time anyone saw Kleshendra, she was at her after-school job at the home office of a local doctor. 27 years later, Kleshendra is still missing. What happened to Kleshendra, and who is responsible for her disappearance? This is Klishendra's story. I realized as I sat down to write this week's episode that Kleshendra is the youngest person that I've covered. There are many missing young women like Klishendra who fall right on the cusp between being a teenager and being a young woman. And when they are black or brown, society and the media tend to automatically categorize them as adults. And that's problematic because being 18, although it makes you an adult in the eyes of the law, There are a lot of 18-year-olds that are still in high school, still fully dependent on their parents or family to provide for them and to take care of them. And so in Kleschendra's case, she was 18, but she was two weeks away from graduation, still living at home with her mom and dad. And so when she disappeared, it really made absolutely no sense. Kleschendra Hall was born on March 30th, 1976 in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. She grew up in the small southern city with her parents, Laurel and Willie, and her three brothers. Growing up, Klicendra's family called her Clea for short. Clea was a bright, happy child whose family was extremely close. Clea was the second oldest, and she was an excellent example for her siblings. Clea's family spent their Sundays at church, where she sang in the choir, and as Clea blossomed into a teen, she volunteered in the church's nursery. Clea wasn't just a volunteer. She really loved children. Laurel told TVH11 and Little Rock in an interview that she did that Clea was always playing with somebody's child. Now, working with children quickly became a passion for Clea and had driven her decision to become a pediatrician when she grew up. And Clea had all the tools that she would need to be a doctor because she was a very bright young lady and an excellent student. Clea loved to read, and getting good grades was her top priority. Clea attended the local high school, Watson Chapel Hill High School, where she was not only an excellent student, she was also popular and well-liked. Clea also sang on the school choir, and she played drums in the marching band as well. Laurel said that Clea was a normal teenager. She loved to hang out with her friends and talk on the phone, but she was really nerdy at heart, and she really just loved a good book. Towards the end of her junior year, Clea had begun working a part-time job. Now, the job was a clerical position for a man named Dr. Larry Amos. Now Larry Amos wasn't a medical doctor. His business was a nonprofit, and apparently he would give funds to people to run in-home daycare centers. And Clea's friend Erica, she had been working for Larry Amos. And so when he needed extra help, she asked Clea if she was interested. And so Clea worked there after school and on the weekends, and the money that she earned she was saving for when she went away to college. Now, Clea was doing well, and her family was proud of her. She was the kind of teenager parents pray for. Smart, respectful, helpful, an honor student, and she had a job. In 1994, Clea was in her senior year in high school. Her dreams of becoming a pediatrician were still very much a part of her plan, Clea had no trouble being accepted to college, and her hard work in high school had paid off because Clea was offered a scholarship to Tennessee State University, and she would be going in the fall of 1994, and she was going to be majoring in pre-med. Now, in the beginning of May of that year, Clea was wrapping up her senior year. She had been named class valedictorian, and she was preparing to give her speech at graduation. But first, prompt. Now, prom time for me always brings up really good memories. I don't know how big prom was for you, but when I was in high school, prom was a very big deal. (laughs) So I can literally close my eyes and imagine the exact place in life Clea was in May 1994. I can imagine the bliss she felt, the excitement. Not only would she be going to college in the fall, but she had been invited to attend a leadership conference in Boston, and she had landed an internship at a pediatrician's office. On Monday, May 9th, 1994, two weeks before graduation, it was a typical day for the Hall family. The weekend before had been busy for them. Clea's prom had been that Friday, and then on Saturday, they had gone to a sorority ball, and that Sunday had been Mother's Day. Now, when the family woke up that morning, they ate breakfast, and then everyone was off to school. Clea, being a senior, was allowed to leave early so that she could work. Now, although Clea was a senior, and she was 18 at the time, Her parents worried about her, and so for the past year, they had been dropping Clea off at work and then going back to pick her up. Now, the home office where she was working was within walking distance of her home, but, you know, in the early 90s, people were extremely cautious, especially about young women walking home late at night. Now, typically, Laura would drop Clea off after picking her up at 2.30, But on this day, there had apparently been some kind of miscommunication. And so when Laurel and Clea arrived at the home of Larry Amos, neither him or his wife were home. And so instead of going to work at 2.30, Clea started her shift around 5, 5 5.30 that day. Now, when Laurel dropped Clea off, Clea told her mom that she would call her when she was ready to leave. And so Laurel left her daughter at her part-time job and went home. She had no idea that that would be the last time that she would see her daughter. At around 8 p.m. that night, Clea called her mom to see if anyone had called her. Now remember, this is 1994, so cell phones are non-existent and people actually had to call your house and leave a message and then they would have to wait for you to get home to hear it. And it's like amazing how primitive that kind of sounds right now. But for a teenager in 1994, the only way to know if your friends had called when you weren't home was to ask your parents. Now when Laurel spoke to Clea, everything sounded normal. She asked about the messages and told her mom that she wasn't quite ready to leave and that she would call her when she was ready. Now Clea didn't usually work late, but there had been times when she would stay late if she had work she needed to finish. According to Laurel, she never worked past 10.30, and so Laurel decided to take a little nap on the couch while she waited for Clea to call her. Now Clea's father, Willie, worked late, and when he got home, he would usually go around and check on the house and all of his kids, especially, you know, since he wasn't home when they fell asleep. But when Clea's father checked her room, he was alarmed to see that Clea was not home. At around 12.45 a.m., Willie woke Laurel up to tell her that Clea wasn't home. Now, Laurel, in her slumber, of course, had not realized what time it was. She was still waiting for the phone to ring to wake her up so that she could pick Clea up. but. The phone had never rung. Now, the first thing Laurel did was call Larry Amos. Now, although completely out of character, perhaps Clea was still working. And so Laurel said that Larry answered the phone on the first ring, despite it being 1245 in the morning. And Larry tells Laurel that Clea left the house around 830. He said that she signed out of work and then he, she got into a car, but he didn't see with who. Now, according to Larry, he only heard Clea leaving. He heard her leaving through the garage like she usually would. And so he told Laurel that he didn't actually see her leave or get into a car. This was an assumption. Now, for Clea to have left work 30 minutes after she spoke to her mother was very strange because her mother was supposed to pick her up. Now, Clea had always been a very responsible teenager who respected her parents' rules, but... Laurel thought for a moment that maybe Clea was acting like a normal teenager on the verge of adulthood and had decided to go out with her friends. Now Laurel didn't really want to worry and make assumptions and so she decided to wait but she ended up staying up all night waiting for Clea to show up or call but the early morning hours came and there was no sign of Clea. When the next morning came all of Lorella and Willie's hopes that Clea was just going to come through the door started to fade. And any frustration that they may have felt about her not coming home quickly turned to panic. But there was one thing that Clea's parents knew for sure, and that was that if she was okay, then she would be at school that morning. Now, Clea's younger brother also went to the same school as Clea. And so as soon as he got to school, he started looking for his sister. But Clea wasn't at school. Clea's brother knew that something was wrong, and so he called his mom to let her know that Clea was not at school either. Now, Clea staying out all night was one thing, but her not showing up to school was a whole nother thing. And so after speaking to her son, Laurel called the Pine Buff Police Department to report that her daughter was missing. Now, of course, at this point, it has not been 24 hours, and so police tell Laurel that they can't take the report yet because Clea's 18. But Clea had just turned 18, and she was still in high school, but that didn't matter to police, and so they followed the policy. And I mean, 24 hours is better than 48 hours, which is often the case. So while the Halls waited to file the police report, they started calling around to Clea's friends to see if anyone had seen Clea, but no one they spoke to knew where Clea was. And so at 5 p.m. on Tuesday, May 10th, Lorel and Willie went to the police station to file a missing persons report. Now, the police took the report, but according to Laurel, they seemed to be very unconcerned about Clea missing. I mean, they took the report, but there was no all out blitz from the police. They were very nonchalant about the whole thing, telling Laurel that perhaps Clea had just left and somewhere with some friends. But the Halls knew their child, they knew that her missing school and not calling home was not normal for her. There was really no way that Clea would ever put her family through this. And so the police's initial dismissal of their daughter missing was disturbing to the halls. But so like so many of these families of missing Black and brown women, they decided to take matters into their own hands and began searching for Clea on their own. They started searching all over Pine Bluff and lots, wooded areas, anywhere that they thought that Clea may be. The family created flyers and started passing them out, and they were getting nothing. Clea had seemingly disappeared. All of her personal items were still at her house, and she had no ID, no money, so she couldn't have just left voluntarily under those circumstances. Now, Whatever hope initially existed about Clea coming home was fading as the days went by, And a time that had been filled with so much excitement and so much happiness had turned into the worst moment of the Hall's life. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Therapy used to be a luxury, but in today's world, therapy is a necessity. So many of us struggle with stress and anxiety of our day-to-day lives. And for me, therapy has been a valuable tool, and now it's more accessible than ever. The best way to think about therapy is through a bunch of analogies. We get our oil change for our cars to prevent bigger issues down the road. We see the doctor and go to the gym to take care of our bodies to prevent injury and disease. And we do chores regularly, well, some of us, to avoid a messy house. Going to therapy is like all of the above. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road. Going to therapy doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Black Girl Gone listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash girlgone. That's betterhel dot com slash girlgone.
0: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. dot com, and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
1: By the time the police began to in- get involved in Clea's case, she had been missing for days. Her family had been on their own up until that point because police had shown very little interest in Clea's case. I mean, imagine the amount of evidence that could have gotten lost in those days since she had been gone. Investigators started by coming to the Hall's home so that they could speak with them and search Clea's room for anything that might give them insight about who Clea was and where she might be. They looked through Clea's personal things, including her diary, but they found nothing. They asked the Hall's questions about Clea and their relationship with her, They asked Willie if he was Clea's real father, which he was. They asked if it was possible that Clea was pregnant, which she was not. And so after speaking to her family and searching their home, the police went to Clea's school. There they spoke to several people who confirmed what her family had said about her. Clea was a good kid, with a bright future, and so her leaving on her own didn't seem plausible. Now, detectives knew that Clea had last been seen at her part-time job with Larry Amos, and so they went to speak to him to see if he could give them any more information about the night that Clea was last seen. But when detectives arrive at the Amos residence, they find out that Larry Amos had left town the day after Clea vanished. Apparently, he had had a trip scheduled to go to Dallas to handle something related to his business, His wife, however, was home, and she agreed to allow the police to look around. She tells them that she, what she knew about the night. She told them that she thought it was strange that Clea didn't say bye before leaving because she normally would. She said neither her or Larry had seen who she left with, and they didn't recall hearing her speak to anyone about picking her up. Now, after speaking to several people, investigators learned that Clea was interested in a boy that attended her church. And as far as I could gather, it was really nothing more than a crush. Investigators did speak to the young man, but he didn't have any information, and he agreed to take a polygraph test, but the results were inconclusive. He also let them search his vehicle, but they found nothing. Now, on Saturday, May 14th, Larry Amos returned from his trip to Dallas. He had apparently gotten word that people in the community thought his leaving the day after Clea went missing was very suspicious. And he agreed to come into the police station and speak to detectives about his last encounter with Clea. Now, he tells police that the same story that he had told Clea's family. And for them, nothing about the story that he told them stood out. The police had looked into, you know, who was the last call on the Amos family phone. But for some reason, it was the last call that day and not the last call the day that Shindra was last seen. But they asked him, you know, about the call and they find out that the, num- the number belonged to someone with the last name Smith. Now, Larry claimed that he had no idea who the number belonged to, nor could he recall anybody with that name. Now, Larry left the station that day, and while on his way home, Laurel, Clea's mom, was in her front yard talking to a neighbor. Now, Laurel said that that Larry stopped by and told her that he had just come from speaking to the police. And then he also told Laurel about the number and handed her a piece of paper with the number written on it and the name Smith. He told Laurel that he had no idea, you know, who the person was, and I guess he was giving it to her to see if she may know. Now, detectives had found out that there were other people at the office that night, including Clea's friend, Erica. Now, Erica told police that she had left work around 8.25 and Clea was still there. She told police that she had offered to give Clea a ride, but Clea had told her that she was going to walk home. Now, this would have been a very strange thing for Clea to say because Clea literally never walked home. She'd been working there for an entire year and she never had walked home. And so investigators are not sure if Erica was mistaken or if Clea just didn't want Erica to know that she was meeting someone or that someone was picking her up. Now, there were also several other people in the office that night, but none of them were able to offer detectives anything valuable either. Despite Larry Amos's home office being the last place Clea was seen, it would take the police two weeks before they would do a formal search of the property two entire weeks. So any evidence in the home that possibly could have been there most likely was gone. The search, of course, yielded nothing because anything that had been there had likely been removed or cleaned up. Police didn't believe, however, that anything had happened to Clea inside the home because there were other people there that night, including Larry's wife. But as the investigation went on, Police realized that their initial nonchalance about Clea was wrong, and she had possibly met with foul play. Clea's family was disappointed in the way the police had been handling Clea's disappearance. I mean, why had it taken them so long to search the last place their daughter was seen? But police didn't believe that Larry Amos had anything to do with Clea's disappearance. Their initial theory was that Clea left that night and was picked up by someone that she knew. They knew enough about Clea at this point to know that she would not just gotten in a car with a stranger, and they know that she didn't leave on her own. So whoever she had gone with was responsible for her disappearance. Now investigators tried to follow several leads, but none of them led them any closer to the identity of the person who had allegedly picked Clea up that night. Actually, they were never even actually able to confirm that a car had picked Clea up that night. because. No one ever saw her being picked up. Clea's family, however, believed that Larry was involved in Clea's disappearance. They don't believe that some unknown person picked Clea up. Nothing about that seemed right. Clea knew people at school. She knew people at church. She didn't really live a life that would have had her meet some mysterious stranger that she told nobody about. And I don't get the impression that Clea's family was overly strict when it came to boys. So what was the reason that a graduating senior would have for keeping a secret like that? Also, Clea had friends, including the one she worked with. So why wouldn't she tell Erica about her plans if she had them? Investigators said that they had several people of interest, although they never publicly named anybody. They told the local TV and papers that they were following several leads related to Clea's disappearance, but... Nothing they had received had proven to be valuable. Clea's family continued their own efforts to find her as well. Flyers with Clea's pictures were everywhere, and the family began using pink ribbons in honor of Clea to bring awareness that she was still missing. Police spoke to Larry again. They even asked him to take a polygraph test, but he refused. But Larry wasn't a suspect or a person of interest. Investigators had information that he was the last person to see her, but they didn't have any information that he was connected to her disappearance. All they know that all they knew was that she was at his home that night. Months went by with nothing. And those months turned into years. In Clea's case, it went cold. No graduation, no leadership conference, no internship, no Tennessee University. Everything that Clea had spent her young life working towards vanished the day that she did. And along with it, her family's dreams for her. In the years following Clea's disappearance, her family continued to search for answers. They refused to allow Clea to be forgotten. On Clea's birthday, those who loved her gather and celebrate her birthdays that she's not there to celebrate. Her milestones, her 21st, her 30th, all celebrated without her. People in Pine Bluff didn't forget about Clea. Rumors around what happened to her floated around and a lot of people were suspicious of Larry Amos. But for years, police had nothing. No new tips, no new leads, nothing. But in 2012, police got a new tip that would lead them right back to Larry Amos's house. Now in the 90s, after Clea had vanished, Larry Amos was having some work done on his home. And one of the contractors came to the police and told them that he had been working on the Amos home and he had noticed what looked like blood splatter on some of the insulation in the home. And he wasn't the only one. Another worker who had been at the home around the same time remembered a foul odor in the home. Now, this was 2012, nearly 20 years after Clea vanished. Her story had been all over local news and papers at the time, so it really doesn't make very much sense that they waited all this time to come forward. However, police took the tip seriously, and from it, they were able to obtain a search warrant for the Amos home. On March 29th, 2012, a day before Clea's 36th birthday, police executed the warrant on the Amos home. Now there was, of course, no signs of blood that police could see with the naked eye, but police did collect several bags of evidence that was taken to be tested. Clea's family prayed that this new information would finally give them the answers that they had so desperately been looking for. But their hope faded again. First, a police lieutenant who was supposed to take the evidence to be tested instead took the evidence home. He claimed that he was unable to drop it off, and so he just decided to keep it with him until the next day. But this information only came to light after the evidence had sat on a police shelf for an entire month before being sent to the Arkansas Crime Lab. The crime scene tech said that she had forgotten about the evidence because she got swamped with other cases. Now, once this information became public, Clea's family was livid. Was this a police conspiracy? Were they trying to protect someone? I mean, how could the police be so careless with something so important to Clea's case? Now, the police, of course, denied any allegations of conspiracy. And while they acknowledged their mistakes, they said there were nothing more than that, mistakes. Now, it would take two years before the Halls would receive the results from the crime lab. And when they came back, it only added to their disappointment and their frustration there was no blood evidence found on any of the items seized from the Amos home. Now, the crime lab said that the items would be tested again, but I couldn't find anything about whether or not that actually happened. The search of the Amos home would be the last lead that the police would get. And once again, Clea's case went completely cold. It has now been 27 years since Kleshindra vanished. She would be 45 years old now. She would probably be a doctor, maybe with her own practice. She loved children, so she probably would have several of her own. Clea had so much ahead of her. And her family has not given up their fight for her. And they deserve answers. They deserve to know what happened to Clea that May night. Clea's case is currently cold. But with all cases like this, someone knows something. Clea did not vanish. People don't vanish. So if you're listening to this and you remember anything about that May 9th, 1994 night, or if you have any information about Clea whereabouts, please contact the Pine Buff Police Department. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We will be back next week with a brand new story. Join us on Patreon for exclusive mini-sodes and ad-free episodes. As always, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Black Girl Gone Podcast. Listening on Apple Podcasts? Show your support for the show by leaving a review and a five-star rating.